can crowd, and you're going to be blessed this morning. Two things I want to introduce. First of all, a young man, many of you know, he's our drum major for Hallsville uh, High School. Brother Eric, Josh. You knocked it out of the park here, man. Who's Amen. that? <laughs> Was that the Lord? He knocked it out of the park. Oh, that's our vision preacher. Amen. Turn it back on. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, brother, you're right. You are right. But anyway, we have Josh with us this morning. He's going to Kenya on a mission trip. And I told him I'd give him two or three minutes here just to share with you real quickly. He's got a table out front with some pictures and all. And, uh, man, I praise God for young men who are sold out to Jesus Christ. Um, just like he said, my name is Josh, and we're going to Kenya. We're sending a team of 36 um, just to go and evangelize. So, yeah, you can help us in three ways. Uh, the first way, the most important way, is to just pray. Uh, pray for the logistics of the trip, for um, just everything from the plane rides going smoothly to just actually getting out there. And then pray for the people that they can, you know, that their hearts are ready. Uh, second, you can buy t-shirts, uh, short sleeve, long sleeve, or sweatshirts that this is right here. Um, and then lastly, if you want to donate, you can do that as well. Um, so yeah, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Thank you. I love missionaries that stay on time. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> we're, we're blessed this morning. Uh, uh, I want to apologize. I'm, I'm not usually the one baptizing, but anytime anyone asks for me, I always do. And I love Emmy, and she asked if I'd baptize her. Uh, but I didn't, I forgot my clothes, and uh, it was a wild morning, okay? Brother, Brother Aaron covered for it really well there, but thank you for, uh, for your putting up with me. Uh, Brother John McGuire, you, you know, if you're in this church, you know that I love to have people in this pulpit who've proven that they love Jesus more than anything in this life. And John has been with SBTC now 10 years. He just got a special award down in uh, 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 Gerald, Gerald's Association. Which association is that? Shelby, don't you? But there are 11 counties that he kind of oversees here as field representative. Before that, spent 32 years in the pastorate, the last one there at First Baptist Church Garrison, and has been a faithful I'm talking about a faithful uh, man of God. And his wife, Susan, has stood with him, and she's here with us today. And we're so thrilled for that. Would you make him welcome this morning? I told him to let it all hang out. Amen? Come, Brother John. Thank you. You can say that part about the pastor being good. Amen. You knocked Amen. it out of the park, too. You knocked too. it out of the Amen. park. <laughs> Dr. Ms. Hunt, you wonderful staff members, deacons, members of this church and visitors, and especially these musicians and singers, I want you to know it's a privilege and a joy to be with you here today. This is a great church. You've got a great pastor, great work. We're very, very thankful for it. <clears throat> And on behalf of our executive director, 
a young Dr. Nathan Lorick, just 42 years of age. I express our gratitude to you for being a part of the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, 2,700 plus churches, and I can honestly say this is one of the greatest, and we're very thankful to be here today. I'm glad to have my wife, Susan, and uh, she's been a faithful pastor's wife and has supported my work all these years. Back in October, we celebrated 100 years of marriage. That's honest. <clears throat> She's been married to me for 50 years, and I've been married to her for 50 years. Back before we got woke, that added up to 100. Amen. It's also great to have this morning members of this church and dear friends of ours, the Story family, the McMahon family. I was their pastor many years ago over in Marshall, and we have many precious memories of our friendship for these many, many years. Before I preach this morning, Brother Paul Ray, would you lead us in a word of prayer, please? Amen. Though the cover is worn and the pages are torn, and though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is this book, worn and old, that can shatter and scatter my fears. When I prayerfully look in this blessed old book, many pleasures and treasures I see, many tokens of love from the Father above, who is nearest and dearest to me. And this old book is my guide. It's a friend by my side. It will lighten and brighten my way. And each promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and heed it today. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God? God's unchanging, eternal, infallible, inerrant Word. And the Lord has laid on my heart for this hour a very special verse of Scripture taken from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. If you have your copy of the Word of God, I would appreciate you turning to it. And I want to read our text, and then we'll put it in the context and bring the message that the Lord has laid upon our heart today. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The context of this verse really begins in chapter 3. Peter and John were making their way to the temple at the hour of prayer, about the ninth hour. That would have been about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was their custom to go to the house of God at the hour of prayer. 
They had done this many, many times. It was part of their ritual. It's part of their lifestyle. Thanks be unto God for those who are faithful to the house of God and to the prayer meeting. As they approached the beautiful gate of the temple, there was a lame man, one who had been brought every day to that place. And he was seeking alms. He was seeking help, a handout. And Peter and John approached him, and he expected to get something from them, stretched out his hand, Simon Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. And I imagine that old boy thought they must be Baptist preachers. <laughs> but such as I have, give I unto thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he extended his right hand to that man and pulled him up. And the Bible says in chapter 3, that is, ankle bones received strength and he stood on his feet and he walked and not only that but he began to leap with joy and to praise the Lord and then he went into the temple with these men these two Baptist preachers Peter and John and he praised God and worshiped God who had healed him of his lameness well the Sadducees didn't like what was happening. They did not like what the people were doing and expressing their praise for what God had done. Their glory and preeminence was being challenged. And so they had Peter and John put in jail overnight. And the next morning they realized that a great thing had taken place. More than 5,000 had been converted as a result of the healing of that man. And they challenged them and commanded them to no longer speak in the name of Jesus, especially the resurrection of Jesus. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. <clears throat> and they realized that they were between a rock and a hard place. A great miracle had been done that could not be denied. If they kept these men in prison, they were in trouble. If they let them free, let them preach in the name of Jesus and his resurrection power, that would upset their apple cart. So they said, we're going to let you two Baptist preachers go free, but don't speak in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Thank God for the courage of those two preachers. They said, we cannot help but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming to a day and a time in this country when those in power would seek to silence the man of God, the people of God. But let us speak boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so I want to read the context beginning here with verse 7. Peter got a crowd together, always had something to say. Acts chapter 4 and verse 7, we're putting our text in context. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, 
If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it made known unto you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name, notice that, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And then our text, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And looking at this verse, I would like to break it down into three main thoughts. Number one, a mighty negative. That word neither is a negative word. Second, a majestic name. Third, a marked necessity. Now let us look at this mighty negative. Neither is there salvation in any other. Any other what? Any other thing. Any other whatever you want to add to it. Neither is there salvation in any other. Salvation, my dear friend, is not of works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. Again, salvation is not of worth. No one is worthy of heaven. How many times have you heard someone say the death of a loved one? Well, dear old Aunt Sadie, if anybody make, will make it into heaven, surely she will. She could make the best fried chicken and biscuits, corn on the cob, mashed potatoes and gravy. They'll talk about Aunt Sadie. As Adrian Rogers said, no one is worthy of the salvation that God has given us. We are not saved by our merits, for we have none. And the grace of God saves us in spite of our many demerits. Amen. Salvation is not by works. It's not by worth. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13 teaches us it's not not by blood, not by anything that we deserve. Third, salvation is not by wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, the world by wisdom knew not God. Lester Roloff, one of my dearest and most beloved friends and preachers, said one time, he said, man has figured out how to get into space, but he's never figured out how to get into grace. Amen. These wise acres that we have today, they think they're smarter than God himself. Salvation is not by wisdom. Again, salvation is not by wealth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. We're not redeemed by silver and gold or the tradition received from our fathers, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. We sang about that just a moment ago. 
What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The salvation is not of water. Paul said to the church of Corinth, I thank my God that I baptized none of you. Oh, then he remembered a couple of them. And then he said in about verse 17, he said, Christ did not call me to baptize but to preach the gospel. When I was pastor of Hillcrest Baptist Church in Marshall, we had a radio program and I'd preached on knowing the ark and how that ark is a type of salvation. I began to get letters from those who believe that you're saved by water. You've got to be baptized to be saved. And I was foolish enough to respond. And they responded to me, and I responded back, several letters. Finally, I wrote them back. I said, this is my last and final letter. The difference between you and me is you believe there's power in the flood, and I believe there's power in the blood. Goodbye. Never heard from them again. While we were there, we had a revival. J. Harold Smith came and preached. Brother Charles, we had 26 people to baptize on that Sunday night. A little church there in Marshall. A little baptistry just had one way in and one way out. A low ceiling. You had to humble yourself even to get up there to baptize. Had a big 300-watt light bulb, just a single bulb. That thing was hotter than a pistol. We were ready to baptize, you know, the old-fashioned kind where you open and close the curtains. And right when I got ready to baptize, that light burned out. And one of our deacons, a young deacon, said, I'll fix it, Brother John, and he got another light bulb and straddled that baptistry and took a handkerchief and began to unscrew that light bulb that thing was still hotter than a pistol and that handkerchief slipped and man that thing burned him and he dropped it and it went right down into the baptismal water excuse me English teachers it busted into a million pieces glass metal wires and I had 26 people to baptize you know you get baptized barefooted isn't that right? Of course, I had a pair of duck waders, big, thick sole. Didn't bother me one bit. <clears throat> I thought, what in the world are we going to do? Finally, I said, is anybody up there in that line written ready to be baptized? Anybody have a pair of tennis shoes? And somebody came out with a pair of white Reeboks. And I, one would put the shoes on and get baptized they would go up and go out take them off and the next one put them on and they would be baptized in them that's the truth Paul Ray and Gerald Amy you were there am I telling the truth 26 people got baptized all of them in a pair of Reebok tennis shoes I'm going to tell you what if you're saved by baptism when we get to heaven there'll be a pair of white Reebok tennis shoes waiting on us I'll tell you Listen, you're not saved by the waters of baptism. Sam Houston said when he was baptized, if water washes away sins, I feel sorry for the people downstream. Ladies and gentlemen, it took the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We're not saved by works. We're not saved by worth. We're not saved by wisdom. We are not saved by wealth. We're not saved by the waters of baptism. We're saved by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our repentance of our sins, our receiving Him as our Lord and Savior, and trusting Him and Him alone to wash away all of our sins. Amen. Neither is there salvation in any other mighty negative. But second, there is a majestic name. That verse reads, for there is none other name given among me under heaven given among men. Oh, I think of the sweet name of Jesus. Isn't the name of Jesus a sweet name? Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. That's the reason why I love him so. For Jesus is the sweetest name I know. As I mentioned, my wife and I have been married for 50 years. The name Susan is sweet to me. I've always loved that name, honestly. It's always been my favorite name for a lady. I dated four Susans before I found one that married me. That's the truth. That's the honest truth. <laughs> that name is precious. The name Aaron is precious to me. Our oldest son, our oldest child, our son Aaron. His name is Aaron. I love that name. Our daughter, Anne Marie. That's a precious name. Oh, my grandchildren. <laughs> our first grandchild, girl, when they told us her name was Poppy, or going to be Poppy, I thought, Poppy? I'd had a little hard time getting my arms around that. Just one look in her little face, I'll tell you, my heart was melted. And that little Poppy Marie is precious to me. It's a precious name. And then our grandson, Princeton, came along, Princeton Scott. <clears throat> they call him Bubba. <laughs> I said, you give him a $100 name and call him Bubba. And our little granddaughter, our son, he and his wife, have a little two-year-old girl named Reagan June. And if they have a boy, I hope they name him Ronald. Amen. But the name, those names are precious to me. But ladies and gentlemen, there's no name more precious than the name of Jesus. It's the sweetest name I know. It's the only name that I can call on for salvation. The name I can depend on for daily strength and guidance and companionship and friendship, the name of Jesus. Jesus is not only a sweet name, the name of Jesus is a sovereign name. Jesus, Jesus, the sweetest name I know, but it's a sovereign name. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we read of that majestic name of Jesus, a name that's above every name, the name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And everybody will one day bow and confess the name of Jesus. For some, it'll be too late. And the time to do that is now. And if you've never done that, 
in this service, you can bow at the name of Jesus and he'll save you. It's a sovereign name. The name of Jesus is a saving name. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, the message given to Joseph by the angel, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The saving name of Jesus, the only way to be saved. John chapter 20 and verse 31, But these things are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The name of Jesus is a saving name. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe that with all of my heart. And Jesus has a saving name. It's a majestic name. And then the latter portion of this verse denotes a marked necessity whereby we must be saved. I like that word must. Jesus used it in his witness to Nicodemus. He said in John chapter 3 and verse 7, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. A famous preacher of years gone by preached on that very often. Someone asked him, why do you preach on that so often? You must be born again. He said, because ye must be born again. You must be born again. You must be saved in order to escape the fiery torments of a place called hell. Jesus described it as a place where the flame is not quenched and the worm dieth not. In Luke chapter 16, he described a rich man who died without Christ. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes in torments. And he saw that beggar by the name of Lazarus who had sat at his table and had looked for some scraps and some handouts. He saw Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. He said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip his little finger, his finger in water and cool my scorched and burning tongue for I'm tormented in these flames. And of course, it was too late. It was too late. There's a great gulf fixed between, and neither one can pass. It's too late. Ralph Stanley, that great bluegrass singer, sang the song, Just a Drop of Water. The rich man cried from hell, though just one drop of water, but no water fell. Aren't you thankful the Lord saved us from that place called hell? There's no way you work your way out of hell or buy your way out of hell or bargain your way out of hell. It's only by Jesus. And you must be saved in order to escape hell. But thank God we must be saved in order to enter the glory and the joys of heaven. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also, and you know the way I'm going, and you know the way and where I'm going. Thomas must have been a Baptist. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You know, I'm thankful he asked that question. 
Because in the next verse, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. Out here in the foyer earlier, I was looking out and visiting with people and looking out the window. There's a car backed up over here, a Jeep, with several great patriotic bumper stickers on it. One of them read, Don't let this car fool you. My treasure is in heaven. Amen, I like that. And the only way to heaven is by Jesus. The only way. We must be saved in order to enter heaven. One day this week in my travels for the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, I stopped in a coffee shop, ordered my coffee, and while I was waiting for it, I saw a sign that had been written that morning in chalk. And the sign asked a question. Would you rather know your future or replay a memory from your past? Would you rather know your future or replay a memory from your past? Well, praise the Lord, I know my future. I don't know every incident along the way, but I know my eternal destination. Amen. Besides that, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. So I eliminated that. And when I got my coffee and sat down at the table and drinking that cup of coffee, I got to thinking. If I could replay a memory from the past, what would it be? I've had many joys in life, many wonderful experiences. And I thought of some of them. But the one that I'd like to replay took place more years ago than I'd like to admit. I was five years old. My daddy was a Baptist preacher. He preached the gospel. He preached about a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and the way of heaven. He preached about the coming of the Lord. And I was deeply convicted of my need of Jesus and salvation. Do you know, even as a five-year-old boy, my little depraved heart resisted the gospel. I mean, I wasn't a bad kid, really, but I mean, I just, you know what I'm saying, there's just a resistance as part of our natural depravity. And several times I was just on the verge of giving my heart to Jesus, but I just didn't do it. And during those days, a lady that kept us and us children and helped my mother with the children. I'm the oldest of five. My mother and daddy were married in 50. I was born in 51. My brother born in 52. They skipped a year in 53, had twins in 54. And so my mother needed help with all these kids. And a lady that we call Big Mama helped take care of us. And one day, my mother had driven to town to Nacogdoches to buy groceries, and Big Mama was sitting in the car with my brother James and me and my twin brother and sister. And it was a beautiful day, but it had those big clouds, those big billowy clouds, looked like big cotton balls. I said to Big Mama, I said, Big Mama, Jesus is coming on a cloud someday, isn't he? I'd heard my daddy preaching about the second coming of Christ. 
She said, yes, John, Jesus is coming back, just like the Bible said, on a cloud. I said, Big Mama, if Jesus came today, I wouldn't go to heaven. I'm not saved. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be left behind. Well, I'm going to tell you what the Spirit of God got a hold of my heart. But still, I was just resistant. A few days after that, out at Douglas, Texas, where my dad was a pastor out in the country, a field behind the parsonage was being burned off. My dad and I stood in the yard at the parsonage and watched that field being burned off and those flames consuming the fire. And I said to my daddy, I said, Daddy, is hell like that? Is it like that fire? He said, Yes, son, only much worse. And I said, Daddy, if I was to die today, or if Jesus were to come again, that's where I would go, isn't it? My dad said, yes, son, that's where you would go. But again, my heart was resistant. A little while after that revival meeting, a tent revival meeting in Nacogdoches, many were being saved, and God was moving in a special way. During that time in our family devotions, every night we had DVRs, daily Bible reading, where my mother and daddy would read the Bible to us and we would pray. Well, that night in the DVR, we gathered together around mom and dad's bed. After the Bible reading and before the prayer, I told my mother and daddy, I said, I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus. And I want to be saved. That's the memory that I'd like to relive. That night Jesus saved my soul. They dismissed the other kids to the, to the other bedroom. And I got on my knees. And the best way I knew how I received the Lord Jesus as my Savior. You don't have to be a theologian to get saved. Like a little boy told the preacher he'd been saved. The preacher said, well, son... Tell me about it. He said, well, I've done my part, and Jesus done his part. <laughs> Preacher said, what do you mean by that? He said, I've done the sinning, he done the saving. Amen. <laughs> That's about all you got to know to get saved. And I was gloriously born again at that moment, saved by the grace of God. After some rejoicing, I was dismissed to the other bedroom, and my brother's and I shared a bed. There's the wall. On the other side of the wall, my mother and dad's bed. No insulation, the old parsonage between the walls. And most every night, my dad would have to come in and exercise some corporal punishment to get my brother and I to be quiet to go to sleep. Well, that night, my heart was filled with the joy of the Lord, and I began to sing to the top of my voice the theme song of that revival meeting. I've just heard from heaven and this one thing I know, my sins are all forgiven. He washed him white as snow. That old load of sin I carried, he took away somehow. And I've just heard from heaven, and it's all right now. And brother, I, I sang it several times on the other side of the wall. My mother said to my daddy, Pete, are you going to go in there and make him be quiet tonight? He said, not tonight, not tonight. 
I'm going to tell you, that's the greatest experience that anybody could ever have. And I want to ask you to stand, if you would, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed. The saving name of Jesus. I'd like you to close your eyes, and I'd like for you to respond today by uplifted hand. How many of you can say truthfully and honestly that you know that you're saved, that Christ is your Lord and Savior, that by the grace of God you've escaped hell and will one day enter heaven? Raise your hand away up high. Some are already doing that all across this room. Thank you so much. You may lower your hand. There may be someone here, you've been saved, but you've never followed the Lord in baptism. Baptism is the first step of obedience in the Christian life, just like this precious one that was baptized this morning. If you're here this morning and you're saved but never been baptized, I want to encourage you to walk the aisle this morning. Tell this wonderful pastor and these workers that you've been saved and you're ready now to obey the Lord in believer's baptism. You may be here this morning looking for a church home. Well, I can promise you, you're not going to find a better place than right here in this wonderful fellowship. You put it off too long. You're like me. You resisted. You put it off. I believe today would be the day that you'd surrender to the Lord and say, I want to put my life in my letter in this great, wonderful congregation. Serve the Lord here. There may be someone here today, the Lord's calling you to special service. God knows we need special servants today, Christian ministers, preachers, singers, missionaries, youth workers, and all the rest of it. Oh, I want to encourage you to come today. And you may be here backslidden. You've gotten out of fellowship with the Lord. I want to encourage you to move out during the time of invitation and get right with the Lord today. Heavenly Father, we pray that you take this simple sermon on a supreme name. And Lord, use it to stir our hearts. And I pray for the salvation of those who are lost. I pray for those who need to make a public decision today that today would be the day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.